Hello, hello, and welcome to the Generosity Freak Show. My name is Nathan Hill, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to this week's episode. On the pod today, Brady is interviewing George Weiner, the founder and CEO of Whole Whale. And actually, according to their website, George's title is Chief Whaler, but it also has a puppy named Turtle and a real whale named Fran listed as employees, which sounds pretty fun. But more importantly, what you need to know is Whole Whale is a certified B Corp digital agency. They leverage web data and technology to really try to increase impact in the world. They work with both nonprofits and four good companies in the areas of website, analytics, digital content, advertising, and a bunch of other stuff. This interview with George actually ends up covering a bunch of interesting topics, including an argument about whether or not soap that benefits koalas is good for generosity, so that's fun, to the impact of donor-advised funds, to Google Analytics tips, and then a bunch of other stuff. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. It's a lot of fun, some good laughs in there. So without further ado, here's Brady and George. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. I said, Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Hi, George. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, so happy to be here. All right. So we're going to dive into all kinds of digital work, nonprofit, social impact. But before we do, can you just share a little bit more about your founding story and kind of why you started Whole Whale? Because I think it's a really interesting journey you've been on. Yeah, Whole Whale began about a decade ago, actually, uh, as we're recording this in 2020. And the idea of Whole Whale is using the entire whale from the blubber to the bone the way the Inuit used to. When they landed a whale, think of it as a sort of religious taboo to waste any part of this whale. Fast forward to the 1850s and the whaling communities of Massachusetts, and they were literally saying like, all right, let's kill this whale, just bring back uh, lamp oil. That's the way... (laughs) I think in a time of abundance right now of data and tech, uh, the way the social impact sector is looking at, you know, their website and digital assets. Hey, let's just throw up a a donate brochure and call it a day. This is the most powerful lever that our sector has ever gotten their hands on. And we are all about uh, being a a B Corp digital agency ourselves at Whole Whale, helping organizations unlock uh, this potential, and also create a ton of educational content and products that service this idea of using the whole whale. So that's mm-hmm. my my elevator elevator pitch and and mini history lesson for you. That's awesome. No, I I love that uh, analogy and story. I think it works really well. And obviously, there's the roots in kind of using data and how do we help more nonprofits. And you say unlock, we say unleash. You know, there's a lot of uh, totally different man. There. Totally the difference. Different. Like these are two very different companies. Whoever's listening, you're like, <laughs> sounds like those guys do the same thing. Interesting. No, Let's see how this goes. You, you unlock me unleash exactly. <laughs> Well, let's let's dive into actually some of the the work that you're doing, and and even the the word that you used there was more like social impact. Can you unpack that? Because I know a lot of people talk about like social entrepreneurship and social impact, but you know, how do you define that, and why are you intentional about using that word as opposed to just you know nonprofit? The idea of saying just nonprofit or social impact, double bottom line, triple bottom line, alphabet soup insert here. Uh, however, you self-identify <laughs> as an organization. What I care about is that you are making the world less shitty. Originally, it's simpler and was simpler 10 years ago, frankly, to say, you know, we help nonprofits make the world a better place. We leverage data and tech. That's what we're up to here. You know, 
The 501c3 status given by our good government here, IRS uh, designation, it's an IRS designation. Just because you have a 501c3 does not mean you are up to good things in America. Uh, For example, like, you know, the NFL used to be a 501c3. The NRA is a proud 501c3. I could continue down the list. There are a number of organizations that from where we sit and in our opinion at Old Whale are uh, frankly, doing great work. On the other side of it, we've had amazing organizations like Charity Miles. They're a for-profit company. They're an app that lets you raise money for every uh, mile you walk, bike, or run. That's awesome. We loved working with them. Just because you're not a 501c3 doesn't mean you're not doing good in the world. We just got qualified actually as a B Corp, uh, you know, benefit corporation. You know, we sat in a room of 3,000 not, you know, folks now that are leveraging their economic engines for social impact. And I actually kind of believe when you look at organizations like maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but uh, Tesla pushing the electric car companies to catch up, to actually develop. And you watch a Super Bowl like we just did with everybody announcing their electric car. I don't believe that happens as fast if you don't have the social impact opportunities of the the for-profit sector as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good um, designation. And you're right; the last you know ten years has become increasingly blurry and muddy. You know, our world is a lot more on the fundraising side, and it is a little bit more clear. And especially me, I'm very intentional of saying, you know, benevolent purchasing is not giving. Those two things are very different. It's not to say you can't use your consumer behavior to benefit, but do not conflate that with charitable giving. They are separate things. Your brain operates in separate ways. It's a different type of you know, a purchasing decision. And whereas the end impact of giving outright or buying is social good, but the route in on the fundraising side to me actually is very different. I don't know if you would, you know, disagree or you get too much into that, but you know, if the end yeah, goal let me impact, push you, let me push you on that. I, I love that. Right. So do you, does it kind of like get under your collar a little bit when people are like, yeah, I bought this soap, uh, 1% of the proceeds go to help this koala. And you're like, really? Hundred percent. I think that's actually one of the reasons why charitable giving continues to decline. Is oh, because so the more, cause the cause washing movement here is kind of like like eating into it, like a, like a Miss Pac Man. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's there's examples within charitable giving itself where if you give you know like a premium or you get a swag bag or you basically get anything tangible at all, and their likelihood to continue giving and the joy or happiness they experience out of giving is actually reduced. And so what we're doing is what's brilliant on the, the business side is you're tapping into this uh, you know, endorphin rush like I'm doing good yeah. and tying it to consumer behavior, which is really powerful. And what's happening at kind of a subconscious level is people are alleviating their need to give because, oh, I just bought a bar of soap. Or Amazon Smile is the classic example. Like People will give less money because they use Amazon Smile to buy shit they don't need. So do you, think, that, we're like, so you think we're like robbing Peter to pay Paul in terms of – net generosity and empathy in the market, right? If there was like 100 units of empathy, like I bought this soap, it helped that koala and that actually did uh, sort of transact in the, the generosity economy. So two things. One, I think the the scale of buying that soap or using Amazon, like the scale of consumerism just tilted slightly towards being more benevolent is so much bigger than anything philanthropy could ever become. So I think that's really interesting to see. 
how do we get more revenue into the hands of people doing more good? That's what we should be caring about. So at one level, that's an unbelievably awesome thing. The thing that worries me is that's still consumerism. And there's something so powerful about I'm going to give money or give time, but in this case, give money to someone, some organization, and get literally zero benefit to myself. There's something that is so powerful and freeing. And this is why... Uh, people who give more frequently have like lower blood pressure and experience more joy and live longer. Like there's huge benefits of detaching yourself from money and just giving it away. And so what I'm worried about is we're continually making our good acts more and more and more about ourselves. And fundamentally giving is about others. That's my worry about the combining and conflation. So it's my worry. I think there's still opportunity, but I think this is where we got to figure out how do we do this really well. So I'd rather see companies say, Hey, um, you bought this soap, we will match you dollar for dollar if you give. But you're still incentivizing giving. You're not just taking money out of your marketing budget, making me feel good, and then alleviating my responsibility to give to someone else. So I think we have to figure out the right models and how do we encourage giving and not lose giving. I'm worried we're going to lose giving, and I think it's important. If you're solving for giving as an outcome, uh, I believe that. I think there's another macro uh, a macro effect that I'd like to talk about, but I'll park that. You know, giving as an outcome, I, I agree that there's been a decline. We've seen that 1.x percent uh, decline in USA giving according to 2018 numbers, and individual giving is on a you know decade long uh, decline as individual givers. Uh, I think that may be one of the factors out there. If you really think about giving as the outcome, you're right. If you think about outcome in the world. Um, I think looking at the larger system, getting back to the original question of why do we focus on social impact? Yeah. Nonprofits as an industry, we're talking about 1.7-ish million in the U.S. They represent about 5% of our GDP. If you talk about shifting a purchasing decision of that 95% of our GDP and where things are moving and where dollars are moving, uh, I think you'd be remiss not to say, hey, there is a, a positive externality and possibly very positive outcome that comes from shifting even a small amount, 95% of a GDP purchasing decision. I'm oversimplifying for sure. The other piece I want your take on actually, and I thought you were going to call out, is the rise of the donor-advised funds, the consolidation of wealth in our country higher mm-hmm. than ever. Donor-advised funds, DAFs, are basically a way for rich people to park it now, pay it later, in mm-hmm. terms of giving. And you're like, oh, how big? We're talking about $100 billion. So I think when I look at that number and I'm like, look at that graph go up and then look at the other giving charts, um, I, I, I'm still on the fence. I know where I sit, but I think it's fair to be on the fence of like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a whole other topic whole new, in its whole own new right. podcast. You can cut me a off and be podcast. like, oh, God, <laughs> he's going off the rails. I have a script and we're lost. No, this is great. Um, so two things on DAF. So one, I used to work for a technology company that was built on a DAF. The whole model was built on the donor advised fund, but it was democratized DAF. So people could give five bucks today whenever they felt generous, and you could accumulate money and get matched into your account. And then when you wanted to at year end or whenever, a friend's birthday, you can give that money away. So there's a huge advantage in the structure of a DAF. The DAF is what underpins a lot of these third-party giving platforms. It's really led to the rise of social giving and peer-to-peer fundraising. And it's mechanism of taking in money in one central place and distributing it. So the function or the, the like mechanics of a DAF, I think, are unbelievably useful. How it's often used, to your point, is like 
financial companies that have zero stake in the game to make money flow into nonprofits use it as a tax vehicle. And that's where the whole problem and criticism of the DAFT is. So if we did more things like putting spending limits on individual DAFTs as opposed to the public foundations so they can't just hide money within DAFTs, like there's things that we can do to make more money flow in. But even that so charitable giving is growing. It's flat as a percent of GDP. It's actually declining on the number of people giving. But what's hard to evaluate is how much money is actually flowing into nonprofits. And that number is even less because you're right. So much of this money is set up in DAFs where it doesn't even see the light of day. So the whole charitable purpose, like, is that really a charitable gift if it just sits in an account for a bunch of years? So this is what I have a problem with the DAF conversation is at the high level, huge, huge problems. But it's not something wrong with the DAF and its structure itself. So people crap all over DAFs, but it's how DAFs are used and who manages and owns the DAFs. That's the bigger thing. So that's that's another you know interesting conversation or, or side topic. But it definitely influences generosity and, and skews all those numbers that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the DAF uh, is... Like it's, you know, it's, it's a vehicle. It's depending on who's driving it and how recklessly they're doing it. And I think putting generosity on layaway at scale is probably a bad idea. However, in the seeds of every one of those bad ideas, there's probably positive externalities like, hey, would it be that great if everyone was suddenly dumping $10 million on $1 million organizations that weren't ready to handle it? Right. We've seen that story play out and that's not awesome either. Yeah. Well, and, and again, like a lot of people use the DAF as a way to like um, be isolated from nonprofits. I don't want nonprofits just spamming me. Don't That's find a big me. reason. You can't find my don't data. Find you me. can't find me. And you're building like a relationship business and you're like, I don't get it. Every <laughs> stupid story. They're like, just find this person. Like, I can't find it. When Silicon Valley Community Trust writes me a check, I have no freaking idea. Yep. What and am so I supposed to do? Element. What did I do? It's maddening. It must be maddening. There's an element where it's great for donors to have, you know, more say and more, more control and more power. The problem is... Donors don't even understand why they do the things that they do or what they want. So then they say, oh, yeah, don't don't contact me. And then they'll never give again because it's like, I don't know what I you do with thanks. my money. I wasn't thanked. And You're it's like, like, well, we don't know how to contact you. And then they're like, well, you know, uh, my argument would be like, go to their freaking website and look for it yourself. Like, read their annual report. Like, what's weird is if I'm invested in Apple, I don't expect Apple to just send me a personalized letter with how my stock's doing. I check to see how my Apple stock is doing. Donors have to take a lot more responsibility of asking questions and finding the types of information that they want. It can't be all on the nonprofit to solve all of their problems, given all the other constraints. It's absolute crap. So, so actually, I don't I'm think that's fair either. I'm going to push on that, right? Like Apple notifies its shareholders quite quite regularly, actually, and it dictates the market, right? What does it look like when a nonprofit and thinks about the way that a for-profit or a publicly traded company does, saying like, this is our shareholder report. You're preparing your annual reports now-ish, that's what companies are doing. Like that's a common thread. You have to report to your stakeholders. The way you yes. define those in for-profit, nonprofit land, clearly different. But I love that mentality and, and treating it that way. You have invested. You own a share 100%. of this outcome. And this is how we are doing toward that goal. I think can resonate certainly uh, with the rising generation of of donors that are are more pragmatic and they're giving and and you have those data so moving into like these like common threads between the two being like no no it's the sharks versus the jets and they're completely different but boy can they carry a tune <laughs> no I 100% agree and uh, often I think the investor mindset investor reporting is what we need to move to my point was donors <laughs> who get frustrated that it's like oh I didn't get my update 
on demand when I want it. It's like that quarterly report is probably on their website. Oh, so yeah. if you're interested to see what your donation did, go to their freaking site. If I want to know how my Apple stock is doing, I look it up. I don't only rely on Apple to email me. That's my point. So the, the nonprofits yeah. should be providing that update. But donors, if they're upset about the lack of impact reporting, it's like, well, go read their blog, follow them on Twitter, see what if they don't do that there, then absolutely dump all over them. But the fact that you don't get an email every week with a detailed impact report isn't the nonprofit's fault in and of itself. So it's a both end. Both things we're talking about is a both end. It's not an either or. It's same thing with purchasing behavior and giving behavior. One side of their black or white. (laughs) I'll have no compromise. Not on not it, on my time, but Brady. It's unleashed, not unlock. Yeah, exactly. Brady, I love this point because think about the maddening relationship between in the for-profit, non-profit expectations of a purchase, right? I purchased a donation or I purchased like a microphone. You're sitting there in front mm-hmm. of a, a delightful microphone. Now, you know what you don't expect because like, you traded dollars for that microphone and you made a donation? You don't expect that stupid podcasting equipment to send you an email being like, Here's how the company's doing, by the way, because you made this one-time purchase. You're not getting angry because that email's not showing up. Like, where's sure. my pat on the back for buying that cause-washed microphone? But if in the mm-hmm. nonprofit sector, you'd be like, I gave $25 and I didn't get a handshake from the CEO. I am yeah. so indignant right now. Like, the expectation post-purchase is probably one of the, like, biggest differences between a nonprofit, for-profit organization of mentality right like you're not send you're not getting that thank you card from that freaking watch you bought but that's the one thing that makes a difference right is when i buy the microphone i'm buying the microphone because i need a microphone what you're buying when you purchase or make a charitable giving decision is a feeling it's a sense of belief or you know it's it's an intangible thing sense of belonging sense of purpose whatever it is and that's actually what they're trading it's social exchange that's the whole reason why you know, uh, economists wrap their minds around charitable giving is to say, why are people giving money away? They must be getting something back. So there, it is therefore the product that fundraisers or charitable organizations are giving. And so it is kind of what do you get after you give is the charitable version of the microphone. And if they don't do it, then you have a bad experience, right? If this microphone sucks, I'm never going to buy it again. If I give and I don't get that experience, well, that giving experience sucked. I'm never going to give to that organization again. So Again, it's like at one level, that's wildly insane to think about a microphone company doing that. But the flip side is what I'm buying at the charity is a good feeling. And if I don't get it, then it's a bad customer experience. So, again, yeah. it's kind of like yes and no. Right? Yeah. That's, what's, that's well, what makes charitable giving so crazy. You're the idea of a donation. Like in my mind, I was like, oh, it's a one time I get my unit of dopamine, which you get a release in your brain right. when you do this thing. But you're not quite done. right? That purchase lasts for a longer period of time. And expanding that as – a concept is, is, uh, I like that. I'm going to steal that. I'm writing this note down. It's officially Great. my idea. Mine. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> the more that people study this kind of warm glow effect, it's getting smaller and smaller and shorter and shorter. It used yeah, to last no, a, we're lot, goldfish, a lot longer. Right? We're goldfish. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, the, on the good side, if you don't have a great experience, it's kind of like people onto the next thing. I can buy my impact somewhere else. But the, the downside is obviously like, they're not getting as much benefit from their charitable giving as as they once did. So yeah. Well, what else? What else can I answer for you? What else do you want to ask today on this on this podcast? Uh, I love how you're taking command and and we're diving into these areas. It's oh, awesome. you know, I've listened to a couple, and <laughs> I I think it's uh, remiss on the guests not to give you a hard time and and to explore some of your knowledge. So I it makes it more fun for me, and this is really what it's about, actually. 
No, uh, it's it's, and that's what the whole thing's about. Conversations about generosity, and that's what we were talking about. So yeah, so let um, me. I had a point I wanted to to tease out also about some common threads of the social impact organizations and, yeah, and please. what we're doing at a high level, right? You know, abstract from the tactics, I think both are turning human attention into empathy and caring into action. Hmm. And as you go down that funnel, it's a great way that we sort of organize all of our work when it comes to, are we using SEO to increase your results here, spending dollars Mm -hmm. here to drive eyeballs there? How does it work down this funnel and then work toward that purchase, that purchase Mm -hmm. being a donation or a microphone? Because it's related. And especially if you're in the cause related, cause adjacent world, you're tapping into that thinking beyond yourself as an independent unit and more about the world and the context of that purchase and that gift. So, you know, turning mm-hmm. the human attention into empathy, into action is an interesting, to, like it's an interesting bit of homework, frankly, to map out mm-hmm. and be like, huh, we are kind of doing that. That's why we created this podcast. Someone's going to listen for 27 and a half minutes and then follow up with X or Y and then potentially buy. Well, and even going back to that point of like the, the soap and how do we do this better? I think what would be great is if, um, those companies started actually tapping more into like nonprofits or people that have been selling more, you know, emotion or cause because the mechanics of a purchasing decision are the same, right? Like attention to empathy and action. But a lot of it is like the messaging and positioning. And a lot of people know how to sell a beer and the mechanics are the same. But the reasons why and the messaging is actually very different to say a cause. This is why so many like pro bono campaigns that look really cool are just actually terrible when it comes to fundraising because they miss the main point. This isn't like me buying a product or a beer. The mechanics are the same. A lot of it still applies, but it's just, you know, slightly different. So that's why I think it's great if an organization like yours actually can be experts at data and mechanics and also understand the nuance of, you know, this is kind of selling a product or selling an emotion and because um, it is so similar, but it is also, you know, slightly different. Yeah. Um, I, f- I feel like we owe your audience some like quick tips. They're like, well, they've like wax poetic about like <laughs> high level topics and like, well, this has been pretty useless. I mean, frankly, you're almost to work. So, you know, you're welcome. Uh, I, I'm fine throwing down some tactics. Is that a, is the thing we can do, Brady? Let's do it. Uh, which tactics area would you like to start with? Uh, you sent us, like, you're so much more organized than we are on our podcast. Uh, I have to like, well, I know I can't be this organized, but you're like, we focus a lot on like Google tools here. And so, yeah, yeah, we're all in on Google because they're doing very well. And I like to build, uh, large objects on top of sturdy foundations. So there are certainly competitors out there. I encourage you to look at like Matomo open source analytics and other options, but for now it's Google. And so Google Analytics, a quick tip is play with Google Data Studio. It is going to visualize and pull out the tasty nuggets inside of Google Analytics. And one piece of homework, one quick tip, look at the landing pages just this month. Look at the top landing pages. And I'm willing to bet in your mind you think that it's your homepage. I will bet you $1 that it's definitely not your homepage. The Hmm. first page, the first door, that somebody enters in the room they go into is not your homepage. It's something else. And right now, if you're listening and you don't know what that is, I want it to scare you a little bit because how are you welcoming that person? How are you building that relationship from the page they happen to enter? Are you doing like 
A-B tests and like revision round number 67 on designing your homepage so that scroller can get the 60th thing in it? Or are you paying attention to your real front door? So that's a Google Analytics quick tip. Uh, the Google Ad Grant, uh, you know what? Uh, we have a course on this, but the, the number one thing you can do is make sure you don't get suspended. Pay attention to it. <laughs> uh, don't get suspended because no money is bad. That's the free $10,000 a month you get from the Google Ad Grants uh, and paying attention and optimizing that. It has a diminishing return to scale, to be honest, but it's worth it for the upfront investment, meaning that I don't think you should indefinitely spend 10 hours a week on it all year round and expect to get increasing, increasing. You get diminishing returns after a certain period of time. And a quick tip on that is pay attention to the time of day when you're running ads. That's all I'll say, because you can optimize and pay attention and conversion rates swing more wildly based on that variable time of day than anything else. And it's something that you may have been missing. Google Optimize, play with time of day as well. Uh, I think it is a hidden little feature and actually massive for human behavior. Right now, if you're waking up this morning, guess what you don't want? A Pinot Noir. Like you just don't want, you don't want to start the day with red wine. But if it's you don't 7 know me very p.m., well. <laughs> you, do, you know nothing of my work. <laughs> yeah, you get it, right? The time of day to sell wine is not at 8.30 a.m. However, I do want to get an ad in front of like George at Pinot Noir o'clock, which is right around when the kids go to bed, I get to relax <laughs> and I'm on my device. Hey, throw an ad in front of me. I'm much more relaxed because there's not a kid screaming. All right. So those are the quick tips, useful things like they waited so long, Brady. They deserve something. No, I appreciate you for, <laughs> for jumping ahead because you're right. We, we're often in who knows where land. Um, well, and I think that the the common thread, right, of Google Analytics, Google Ad Grant, Google Optimizing those tips is data. We just make too few decisions based on data. And what's amazing is you can go in and see when do your donors actually make donations, right? It's Do you even know that figure? And then can you start sending ads or retargeting or sending emails in and around those hours? Like it's actually such a... Once you actually get into data, the strategy side of things or the application things is actually super simple. Do you know what I mean? Right? If you find out like, oh, we get 80% of our donations between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. Well, you should send your email at like 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. so that you're right in that window. Like that's a pretty straightforward, you know, strategy based on some pretty simple data. But most people don't know where to go to get that data, which is why I assume is one of the reasons you created Whole Whale University. Is that part of it is just saying, hey, here's what we know. Here's what we've learned. How do we share this with others? Because this is so important or maybe unpack Whole Whale University real quick. You mentioned a course. Yeah. And also like a big nod to, to Next After's uh, courses are pretty strong as well. I love them. And uh, certainly something to look at. Whole Whale University was created because we can't work with every client we want to. We're an agency and agencies fundamentally just don't scale that way. And for the smaller nonprofit operating that can't afford, frankly, to, to pay us because we pay our people and we pay their healthcare and we have lights in our buildings, <laughs> uh, we wanted to really package these resources to build capacity, not only in our clients, but in, in other folks looking to answer that. And so for that Google ad grant, if you want to do it yourself, we have a course on that. It's, you know, three hours long, you sit down and we're going to take you from zero to 60 and all the tactics that we use for our clients to, to frankly do that. We do that for social media. We do that for content marketing, SEO, and we're continuing to build that as an asset uh, internally at Whole Whale. And so like that was the genesis of it. Like we needed to package our knowledge in a way that, you know, clients could use, we could build capacity in other organizations over time. 
Awesome. Yeah. And again, no, no surprise, very aligned with how we build our courses and why we've done that as well. So let's pat each other on the backs. Okay. Last question uh, to kind of wrap up this great conversation. We ask a lot of people this, you kind of touched on it, but uh, how do you think we can grow, improve and optimize generosity? Yeah, the idea of generosity uh, is interesting to abstract it fine, but I think to focus it on the, the fundraising question, probably to where your your audience is in there and thinking it as a as an asset, it it has to come from your team. It has to come from within yourself. So to get on the more uh, softer side of it, you have to remind yourselves like why are you waking up and going to work? Why did you just push that email? Why did your volunteer just go out there and teach that child? Remind yourself, and if you're the leader, you have to remind the team, and it's like a battery. Internally and within your team, that sort of runs down if you don't remind. And then we get to the data of the how. How do we do our best work given the energy we're trying to put out there with regard to to generosity, but it grows from the passion of your own team. And so if you're looking around being like, I feel like our message isn't resonating, we should try A-B testing this or A-B testing that, take a step back sometimes and say, maybe this is a zero to one moment where Mm -hmm. we have to reinvigorate the energy that we feel. And that comes through then in your communication, making it a lot easier to test in that A-B landscape of like, okay, is this piece of passion working better than this piece of passion rather than like we have ho-hum on the left and I don't know on the right, let's test it until (laughs) it gets better. Like that's not going to get you anywhere, but lower. So that's um, a high level, I guess, thought on it for you. No, that's really good. No one's, uh, no one's called that out, but I think that's massive. That's a, that's a really good answer. All right. So uh, where can people find out more about you, your work and these wonderful courses? The internet. That's where I keep all my stuff. You can find it on wholewhale.com. Now, keep in mind, you've been listening and you're like, is it a whole or is it the entire? W-H-O-L-E-W-H-A-L-E.com. And obviously, show notes on Next After, right? You'll have You bet. We'll be notes. sure to send that out uh, when we do that. So, well, George, thank you so much for taking this time and uh, chatting about all kinds of things. Some expected, some unexpected, but I really enjoyed it and appreciate you coming on. Hey, I appreciate you sharing uh, your time and space. Uh, your work definitely matters. And, uh, and for, I fortunately, uh, I'm so happy to be talking with you in person and, and look forward to more collaboration. Sounds good. Thanks. Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com, or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest, or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com it's podcast at nextafter.com and if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research resources and training you can find out more at nextafter.com that's nextafter.com thank you very much for listening and finally I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill our producer and mixologist this would not be possible without him so thank you Nathan and thank you once again for listening <laughs>